Last week, we started talking about the first beast. There's a second beast, as if the first beast wasn't bad enough. He's got a, he's got a counterpart. One of the things that I want to point out before we dig into the second beast, and I don't know that I, I, I can't remember if I really stressed this very much last time or if I kind of hinted at it but didn't really talk about it. One of the things that you're seeing in these two beasts is this pseudo-Christ. In other words, these are false Christs. They are, they are, the intention is to deceive. Now, the first beast is not so deceptive, but by force. He's like, you're going to do this. The second beast, you'll notice, is a little more suave. He's smooth. He, he knows the right words to say. You'll see that in a minute. Both of them are imitating Christ. Both of them are trying to set up a false Christ for people to follow. So be looking for that. And when, when you're reading in Revelation 13, as you're listening tonight, be looking for the fake Christ because it's there and it's intentional. Satan doesn't have all the authority and, po and power in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He, he is not the true Messiah and he doesn't have the ability to replicate everything Jesus did, but he's going to do as many things as possible to convince as many people as possible that this one is the one you've been waiting for. This one is the one to put your hopes on, when in reality, he's not. You'll see that tonight. In fact, we've already seen it. If you look back in chapter 13, um, verse... There we go. He is, he is uh, verse 3, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. Whether the wound was really a mortal wound and he was healed from it, or whether it just looked mortal and he came came back, so to speak, um, he's imitating the death and resurrection of Christ. That's that's on purpose. Satan's doing this to trick people. The dragon is giving him power and authority, just like Christ has been given power and authority from on high. He has a mouth that's uttering all these great blasphemous things just as Christ uttered these great things except from Christ they were true from this one they're false he's imitating Christ he was allowed to make war over the saints and conquer them now who is the conqueror it's Christ and it looks like this one is conquering it looks like this one is winning it looks like this one is is getting the victory when in reality he's not all who dwell on the earth worship it, everyone whose name wasn't written. See, he, he's got his own list of worshipers, just like Christ did. And those who are not tricked, those who are not absolutely defeated, but seem to be, those are the ones that are the true believers in Christ, the true Christ. But all others are deceived. All others are finding in this false Christ, the one they want to worship. I point this out because one of the key aspects of Satan's game plan in fighting against the church, in fighting against the kingdom of God, one of his key, key strategies is to imitate the real. One of the things that he wants to do the most, one of the things that he strives to, to accomplish the absolute best is to have a knockoff that looks so much like the original that it fools everyone. In reality, we know who the true Christ is. 
But many don't. Many are looking for signs and wonders. Many are looking for great boasts. Many are looking for a conquering leader. And they find it in this beast, in this false Christ. And just as the real Christ has real prophets and has a real Holy Spirit that testifies about him, so the false Christ has a false prophet, a false spirit that testifies about him. And we find him in the second half of Revelation 13. This is God's word. And if you let it, it will change your life. Revelation 13, 11 through 18. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. The first beast rose out of the sea. This one's rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. It also causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Father, as we approach your scripture tonight... Help us to see the true among the counterfeits. Help us not be deceived, but help us to see with clarity and discernment the knockoff as we see with clarity and discernment the genuine. In Christ's name, amen. The true Christ or the false Christ. The second beast calls us to discernment because he is imitating the true Christ. Now, it starts very early. I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It says, it had two horns like a lamb. Here's another imitation of Christ. This beast specifically is going to really lay it on heavy because he wants people to follow this false Christ, this, this beast that has already come up out of the sea. Uh, by the way, one thing that I didn't mention, uh, the earth in general was a way of talking about the nations of the world in the Hebrew mindset. And John, remember, John is a Hebrew. He is a Jew that has walked with Jesus, has talked with Jesus, has learned from Jesus, but has experienced the fact that Jesus is God. It is so strong in John's life that the beginning of his gospel, he sets forth that premise that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten the father, full of grace and truth. He sees Jesus in a little bit different light than the other gospel writers see him. And because of that, he's writing from the perspective of the divine Christ. And so when he sees this beast, he can't help but see the similarities on the surface that look like the divine Christ, that look like the real thing. But he also can't help but see that they're fake. It's a facade. It's not genuine. 
this person, this beast, isn't genuine. He's, well, as I once told my mom about Millie Vanilli, he's phony baloney. He's not the real thing. He looks like the real thing, kind of, if you squint and if you don't look too hard. He looks kind of like the real thing if you're not paying attention. Some of the most deceptive aspects that we run into in life, some of the most deceptive arguments, some of the things that deceive us the easiest and the most are the things that kind of look right until you really examine them. This beast kind of looks right until you really examine him. He has two horns, like a lamb. Now, where have we seen a lamb before? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Revelation 5, the Lamb worthy to open the scroll. In fact, he, he hears this voice like a lion, John does. And when he turns to look at the lion, he doesn't see a lion, he sees a lamb. And all of heaven praises this lamb because he is worthy to open the scroll. He's the real thing. But the beast in 13, Revelation chapter 13, isn't the real thing. He is the counterfeit. He is the knockoff. He is the phony baloney of Christ. You have the real Christ and you have the fake Christ. And so it calls for discernment to figure out just which one is genuine. Maybe you've seen it. It's kind of a popular um, thing in some, in some types of movies or TV shows where the evil villain will somehow copy the good guy. And so in the same scene, you've got two that look exactly the same. And, and the trouble is you don't know which one's the villain and which one's the real thing. That's what's going on in Revelation 13. It's a copycat. And you can't tell at first glance which one is which. Now we who have discernment, we who are following Christ, we who know the shepherd, who know his voice, who hear him and who come to him, we know it's a phony because we know the shepherd. There's a lot of sheep that haven't met the shepherd and they don't know what the shepherd's like. And so when this fake shepherd comes along, they're going to be deceived. He looks like a lamb. Now the other beast, it had 10 horns and seven heads. This beast has two horns, like a lamb. He looks a little more gentle. Now, now he doesn't speak gently. He had two horns like a ham, or like a lamb, and spoke like a dragon. Oh, he's, he's just as boastful. He's just, he's got just as much fire coming out of his mouth, but I think he's a little more debonair. He's, he's smooth. He's not the type that's going to shout you down. He's the type that's going to outwit you. He's not the type that's going to be in your face. He's the type that's going to be by your side, whispering in your ear, hey, hey, listen, that's the kind of, the kind of thing that he is, but his words are just as caustic. They'll burn you just the same. Be careful who you're listening to, even those that sound like they're good, even those that are saying good things, good sounding things. Be careful who you're listening to. Verse 12 says, It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence. It's just like the Holy Spirit is is working in the presence of Christ, doing the work of Christ, testifying to the Christ. In the same way you see this beast. This beast is testifying to the false Christ. This beast is working in the presence of of the false Christ, just as the real Christ works in the presence of God. 
Just as the Holy Spirit works in the presence of Christ, so this false prophet works in the presence of the false Christ. He's imitating. He exercises all the authority of the first beast. How much authority does the first beast have? Well, he has authority over all the earth, over all the nations and languages and peoples and tribes, every everything on the earth that does not, that has not the mark of God has is fair game for this beast. And we'll see that in just a second. It performs, oh, the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. He makes a point. You remember that beast, the beast, the beast that had the mortal wound, but then it was healed. He's making this point over and over and over again because he wants to, because this is what the beast is doing. He's showing the mortal wound of the first beast and he's saying, look, look, he was the one who was healed. He was the one who was healed. He should have died and he's alive. Or he did die and now he's alive. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. He's imitating Christ. I keep driving this point home because it's so easy to lose sight of the fact that the, that the devil doesn't run around with a pitchfork and a tail and horns. He's not a little red guy. He makes himself look good. Lucifer. Lucifer, bearer of light. He doesn't just look like a little devil. No, he, he never does that. He always puts on the suit and looks more like a heavenly being. Just because he was kicked out of heaven doesn't mean he was disrobed first. And that's part of the problem, isn't it? So many people are so deceived because time after time, day after day, month after month, year after year, all they do, all they continue to do over and over and over again is they keep drinking the Kool-Aid from the false Christ. They surround themselves with the platitudes that sound good but aren't truth. Live, laugh, love might be catchy. That doesn't mean you should live your life by it. Yes, it's good to live. Yes, it's good to laugh. Yes, it's good to love. But life is more than just a catchy slogan. Genuine life in Christ is so much more than that. Don't be deceived. Because Satan doesn't come with easy-to-debunk arguments that are based on logic and reason. Not, not to most people. To most people, you know how he comes? He sounds good. He looks good. He seems good. Don't be deceived. 13, he, it performs great signs. Even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. He's referring back to the story of Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah. There's a bunch of prophets of Baal. Elijah challenges them. He says, all right, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? How, how long are you going to keep going back and forth? Because the people of Israel wanted their God and wanted the real God and, and kind of go back and forth and, oh, well, I'm going to do this God here and I'm going to do that God here. I'm going to do this other God over here and that God over there. And maybe, hopefully, in all of this circumstance, maybe, maybe just this, maybe one of the gods will help us out. They're hedging their bets. They're worshiping God. It, no, we wouldn't do this. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have 20 wives. And just spend a day with a different one each day. Rotate around every couple weeks. That makes no sense. You cannot be devoted to one wife and have a bunch of them. Ask Solomon. Ask David. Ask Abraham. 
What kind of problems come out when, when we spread our love that should be focused on one and we spread it out to a whole bunch of others? And now you'll know why. God refers to the sin of idolatry as spiritual adultery. This is why the book of Hosea condemns the adultery of Hosea's wife because it's a picture of the adultery of the nation of Israel against the true God. And so, so Elijah's on top of the Mount, of Mount Carmel and, and there's these 450 prophets of Baal and he says, all right, I tell you what, you make a sacrifice, I'll make a sacrifice. We'll both call down fire from heaven. The one for whom fire falls from heaven, that's the true God. Prophets of Baal set up their sacrifice. They're doing all kinds of stuff. They're dancing around. They're chanting. They're doing all kinds of things. They're cutting themselves. They're doing all sorts of... And nothing works. Because Baal is not a true God. But when Elijah comes, and Elijah sets up, the true God sends fire from heaven. Even a sign like that, even a sign as powerful as that cannot be the basis of our faith in God. And I'll show you why. Verse 13, even the false prophet can do that. He is allowed by God to perform miraculous signs. When we put miraculous signs as the thing on which we base our faith, our faith becomes worthless. Hear me on that. When you are basing your faith on the miracle, on the healing, on the spectacular occurrence that you're waiting for, you are basing your faith on the wrong thing, and you will be deceived. Says so right here, even the false prophet can do that. Faith in faith is little more than a good feeling. Faith in miracles opens the door wide for deception. Faith in Christ, that's unshakable. Faith is only as good as what you put it in. You put faith in Christ, that's going to last. You put your faith in miracles, in great signs and wonders, healing. And I hate to tell you this, but it's going to sink you because your faith isn't based in something secure. Even the false beast can make fire fall from heaven. Don't put your faith in the sign. Verse 14, and by the signs that it is allowed to work... And this is, this is why, because by the signs it is allowed to work. It is allowed to work signs, but it's not allowed to do everything. Did this beast really come to life after being killed? No, 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 you see, it didn't have that power. Did this beast take the sins of the world upon his shoulders? No, he didn't have that power. Does this beast become the basis of a genuine, lasting Church of God, over which the gates of hell will not prevail. No, this, this, this beast is gathering folks at the gates of hell. By the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, the, the, the signs that it's enabled to do in front of the other beast, before the face of the other beast, the beast that has given him the authority and the power and the ability to do these things that has ultimately come from God. But through that other beast, through that antichrist, this second beast, this false prophet is able. It deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. This is nothing new. Nebuchadnezzar erected an image of himself, told the Babylonians, this is God, worship this image. 
the imperial cults of Rome stressed the deity of the emperor. Images were built all over the place, including in Asia Minor. Several cities of Asia Minor were the homes of these statues built for the Roman emperors where they were worshipped as gods, along with all the other gods. One of the biggest things that the prophets say about idols, they can't talk. They can't do anything. They're worthless. The beast can make this idol talk. Maybe it's ventriloquism. Maybe there's something else going on. Maybe there's some sort of technology or something, some sort of magic or something that is making it look like this image is actually talking. But whatever the case is, it's enough to convince the world. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Remember the three friends in Daniel chapter 3 who would not bow before the image that Nebuchadnezzar set up? sticking out like sore thumbs while everybody around them is bending the knee and these guys are just standing there twiddling their thumbs. No. You remember that? What happened to them? Thrown into the fire. Now, of course, God worked the miracle then, but God may not always choose to work the miracle. There are many who are persecuted and who die by the flame, die by the sword, die by the firing squad, die by any number of means, die in the gulag, die in the concentration camp. Many different ways that people die standing up for their faith in Christ instead of bowing before the false images. And that's what's going to happen in this day. There's an image that's going to be erected for the first beast. This false prophet is going to make it seem like that image is talking. And in the end, those who refuse to bow will be killed. Why do I make a point of that? Because this beast demands total conformity. Here is one place at which the beast, the false Christ, and the Messiah, the true Christ, differ widely. Messiah, Messiah doesn't have to make you worship. Not until the very end. Not until he deals with all sin and all sinners. Will every knee bow and every tongue confess? He doesn't have to make you because he has truth. This false beast doesn't. That's why he's he's a false Christ. This true beast, false Christ, he doesn't have the authority the power, the truth that the true Christ has. Verse 16, it also causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. If there is one portion of Revelation that I have dreaded preaching about, it is these two verses. Because there is so much junk, so much garbage that people put out. So let me just go ahead and tell you. I am not looking for a piece of technology, microchip, or anything like that, that is going to cause... That, that you put in your arm and it's going to make you a zombie and make you follow the false beast. What this is, is this is the antithesis of Revelation chapter 7. Do you remember in Revelation chapter 7, before the seventh trumpet blows, this first sixth is blown, and before the seventh is blown, there's an intermission. 
And somebody says, hold up, hold up, before anything else happens, I got to do something first. Look at it. Revelation chapter 7, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. Revelation 13, this mark of the beast is the antithesis of Revelation 7, the mark of God on the people who are following God. Let me be clear about something. I have no idea when Revelation 13 will happen, but I do know this. God will mark his own before the beast gets a chance to mark anybody else. Now, whether that is just people of Israel, whether the church is long gone by now, and it's just those that have accepted Christ afterwards, those among the Jews who have accepted their true Messiah, who are subject to this punishment, does not matter. Whether it's the church, full-blown, whether we're in it for the long haul, and we're here all through the tribulation, or some other way in between, it does not matter. What matters is, at this point in time, the beast is able to mark those who have not been marked by God. He is not able to mark those who have. So if you want to be leery about getting a certain mark, get the true mark first. And then you don't have to worry about it. Now, as far as the number 666, there is something that is widely accepted by scholars that, that's known about the ancient world. They would take a man's name, give each digit a number based on what letter of the alphabet it was, and then add it up. It was a game they liked to play. You add it up, you, you get the total, you give someone the total, and they have to try to guess who it is. So whose number is 666? It's the false prophet's number trying to figure out who it is. Maybe it's Nero. Maybe it's somebody else. Some manuscripts, by the way, don't even have 666. They have 616. What number is it even? This seems to be 666 seems to be the best attested, but it doesn't matter whose number it is. It's the false prophet's number. And like I said before, before the beast ever has a chance to mark anybody, God already has marked his own. Be marked by God. And you won't have to worry about the mark of the beast. So where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us knowing two things for sure. Number one, Satan cannot duplicate Christ. So he has to resort to imitating him. And the imitation looks pretty good to a lot of folks. But we know what's coming. There's three different types of people who might be listening. One type are those that have already given their hearts to Christ. They're already following him. They're serving him. They're loving him. They're, they're seeking to honor him throughout their lives. They're, they're, they're the ones that are properly called the church. They're properly called the saints of God. And for you, I want you to see there is persecution coming. Whether you're going to be here to see it or whether it's your spiritual children, grandchildren, whether it's in our generation or it's in following generations. We know the truth still remains. The truth that we still, as a church, will face persecution. 
That's true. And persecution can come in many different forms. But something tells me the harshness of what's to come will make all other persecutions that we can think of seem benign and weak. We are called to endure. We are called to discern the false and the true and to remain faithful to the true. The second type of person are those who have heard the word of God and have not made up their minds. They, they haven't decided. Maybe, maybe you are in the boat where you've listened, you've heard sermons, you've heard preaching about Jesus, about how he died on the cross for your sins, about how he raised from the dead on the third day, about how he loves you and wants to forgive you of your sins. If that's you and, and you've never made that commitment to Christ, do that, do that now. Pause the video. It'll be up later. Go before God and beg him for mercy. Don't let tonight go by without asking God to save you. We all need saving. I, I, I dare say we don't need to be saved so much as we need to be revived because without Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And only Christ Jesus can breathe the breath of God into us and make us live. Just as he is the only one, not the false Christ, not the false prophet, not the dragon. They, they, they can't imitate a resurrection from the dead. Only God can do that. And he offers that through Jesus Christ. Third type of person is the one who would say that they have been saved and are not living for God. I think this is a good time to check yourself. I think this is a good time to go to the scriptures and to let God show you the truth about who you are. Maybe you are saved and you have just wandered far, far away. Maybe you've tried to live your life in a good way, but not God's way. By the time Revelation 13 comes, we'll know who's following God and who's following the beast. Everybody will put their chips in it by Revelation 13. I'm calling you to put your chip in now. You're either for him or you're not. And I know that might sound a little harsh, but there comes this point in time where we got to make a choice. Quit faltering between two gods. Quit living your life as though you're trying to please two masters because you cannot serve two masters. You will love one and you will hate the other. Tonight, make your choice. Choose life that you might live. Father, we have seen the false and the true tonight. We have seen the genuine Christ and we have seen the fake Christ. We have seen the testimony of your Holy Spirit to the true Messiah and we have seen the testimony of a false prophet to the false Messiah. And once again, we are brought to the valley of decision where we must choose this day whom we will serve where we must quit faltering before, between two gods. There's coming a day when we can no longer make the choice. It's made. Where there's no more faltering, it's done. Father, help us to make the choice now before we're deceived. Your word says today is the day of salvation. May today be the day of salvation for someone. May they trust you completely, eternally. May they inherit the eternal life they've been seeking. And may you change our hearts so that the work that we do from here on out will display your character, your love, your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.